Craig Parkinson, and this is the Two Shot Podcast. Pop the kettle on and let's dive in. How the devil are you? Yes, it's Thursday. It's the Two Shot Podcast, but more importantly, it's the season finale of the Two Shot Podcast. This is episode 21. I know what you're saying, Craig. It's normally 20 episodes per season, but look, it's our podcast. We can bend the rules. And I wanted to leave you only for a short, only for a couple of weeks while we record some more episodes on a high. And more importantly, I had questions how did two best friends who are collaborators on theatre and film, how do they write their debut novel together and also remain best friends? Well, that's one of the questions I put to Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson, who are this week's guests. And of course, you'll know Jeremy Dyson, maybe not his face, maybe not his voice, but certainly his writing talent. Of course, he's a quarter of the League of Gentlemen, and he co-created the brilliant, much-loved cult classic sitcom Funland, which stars past TSP guest Danny Mays. Go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. It's a beaut. And if you haven't seen Funland, oh, go check it out. And if you haven't seen the League of Gentlemen, what are you doing listening to this? Go and watch all that and then come back. No, 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 it's fine. I'm only joking. It's a great episode. We talk uh, about the process of their debut novel, The Warlock Effect, and what better place to meet up with Andy and Jeremy than in the podcast Spiritual Home, which is Maison Bateau. Massive shout out to Tanya, who is always accommodating with tea, pastries, space, and just to be in that iconic building and the sounds and the smells whilst we record is amazing. Um, look, Andy Nyman does not need any introduction because he's been on this podcast twice before. If you haven't heard Andy's episodes, go back. They are a complete joy. Um, I've wanted Jeremy on for ages and it seemed the perfect time to start asking these questions about this collaboration with the release of The Warlock Effect, which I have to say is a, it's so much fun. It is a fun, fun read. It's full of twists and turns. It's it's deliciously funny. It's full of love. And it's also full of magic. Um, it's all set in 1950s London. And Maison Bertel, where we, we record, plays a major, major part in this book. So I'm sure you're going to love reading it. And if you haven't heard of it, you're going to want to read it after this episode. Um, there is more to tell you, but I'll see you at the end of this episode and we can have a little brief catch up then before we uh, kiss goodbye for a couple of weeks. So let's go to Maison Bateau in Soho. <laughs> no, I, that didn't mean that sounds terrible. Doesn't it? That just came out of my mouth. Um, not a poet. Not, I know. I know what you're saying. So uh, I got the train into London. It's flying solo. Uh, Producer Griff was up north. He was very, very busy with another podcast. I know. I know. Look, we all know where his first love is. It's this. So don't worry. He's always going to be here. 
So I got the recording equipment and uh, I went to set up and Andy and Jeremy came to meet me. We had some tea. I let them settle in with some Lapsang Shushong and some Earl Grey and some delicious pastries from Maison Bateau. And uh, we kicked off and this is it. This is the season finale of the Two Shot Podcast with the wonderful Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson. Enjoy. I'll see you at the end. And we're back this week in the spiritual home of the Two Shot Podcast, Maison Bateau. And it's a major player, a major factor in my guest's new book. It's a welcome return to Mr. Andy Nyman. And a very warm welcome to Mr. Jeremy Dyson. And their book is called... The Warlock Effect. That's exactly right. It's a fantastic read. I'm really enjoying it. But before we get on to that, a few new questions that we start our new guests with. You haven't had this before, Andy, so that's a few new thing. I'm going to ask you some questions. You just interpret them exactly how you like. Okay. Andy Nyman, a good film or a good book? A good film. Hmm? Yeah. Jeremy? Nowadays, a good film. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of nowadays, Saturday night or Sunday morning? Well... Well, it's not complicated. Well, no, because I'm thinking what I was about to say was Saturday night for me Mm. has never been like Saturday night. It's it's always pretty much the same. Blind date. Yeah, blind date. Mm. Yeah. Tell. I mean, you cannot be for me good shitty Saturday night telly. Absolutely love it. Do you think those days are gone though? No. No. No, Anton do you mourn, Deck. Do you mourn for uh, Noel Edmonds, the house party? I loved Noel Edmonds' yeah. house party. I loved it. I love light entertainment, as the Warlock effect. We both have such a, a soft spot for it. I love it. No, I love... I will... In Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway, that happiest minute of the week or whatever, I'm always crying at that. I love it. Absolutely love it. I love a good gotcha... Love Saturday night. I did used to love the chaos of Tiz Was of a Saturday morning, which sort of bled through into early evening. It was one of those defining things, wasn't it? It's a bit like Beatles and the Stones. Yeah. Were you Tiz Was or were you Swap Shop? If you were all later. I went on Swap Shop. You did not. Well, it's a difficult story to recount. I did. I went down to the Leicester Tigers ground and... <clears throat> because Swap Shop was there and I had uh, a War of the Daleks that I wanted to get rid of because right. I, I think I'd had two of them or something, one Christmas or something. And Nigel Starmer-Smith, who was the guest presenter at the Tigers rugby ground that week, called me forward to, to swap it for something and this nasty girl wouldn't let me get through. She blocked my way, so he moved on. There's a heartbreaking memory. <laughs> That you still carry around. Still carry around. Find you, that girl was. (laughs) (laughs) I was in the audience of Get Set for Summer, a short-lived summer BBC Saturday morning series, uh, when the guests, the Beats, were on. (gasps) And Kiki D. Wow. It was uh, quite an experience. We're all showing our age now. I'm going to give you one final one. Go on. Me and my sister 
went to, this is a few years later, but the grand final of Bob Says Opportunity Knocks. You did. We did. We got, we got tickets to go to TV Centre. Can you remember who won? No. Oh. Just remember being awed at being at watching Monkhouse. And for those younger listeners who have absolutely no idea what we're all talking about, uh, Google it. Jeremy Dyson, as we uh, get older, less ambition or more? Uh, more desperate ambition as you're kind of clawing at whatever time is available to you. <laughs> Just the ambition to have a good win. <laughs> um, Jeremy, I'll stay with you for this one. Would you say you're a better host or a better guest? Interpret that. Uh, neither. <laughs> I'm so glad. I was fascinated to hear I, I gla- my wife nudges me when I glaze over, when I start glazing over, which is increasingly after very short spans now. So not n- no dinner parties for you in the... In not the if it can be avoided. Which it can, <laughs> I think, more well, and more. I, I am a friendly person, but, yeah, it's just uh, the formal event. Yeah. So we're on a desert island. You know, we've all imagined we're taking our discs, but this is about films, more importantly, <gasps> horror films. Oh, Tell me one that you would take. I mean, I take ghost stories. Not because it's the best horror film ever made. But because but of because the memories. because it's our horror yeah, film. Yeah. And it's, it's the culmination of our... Well, not the culmination, but the first incarnation of our joint love and obsession of it. So that's what I'd take. And I think I'd track <clears throat> back from that to American Werewolf in London, mm. which kind of was a seed for both of us. Yeah. These are both very good choices. Not what I would have predicted at all. These next last two are cruel, I think. Go on. Okay. Andy. Yeah. (laughs) Darren Brown. Yeah. Houdini. Yeah. Ali Bongo. Oh, that's not cruel at all. Certainly not Houdini. Mm. It'd be between Darren and Ali. Um... I mean, Darren is a, a great friend and I think one of the greatest magical performers that have ever existed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd choose Darren. I've, I, I knew Ali as well, so I have warm memories of, of Ali. But, no, Darren. Darren. Jeremy, probably ever so slightly cr- crueler. Go on. <laughs> Can I guess? <laughs> you can Reese Stevel Mark? Shearsmith Gators Pemberton. <laughs> uh, well, you can't pick one. Can you you? That's like picking between your children. Mm-hmm. You have to. The guards have got a gun up my head. They're going to kill me. <laughs> you have to. And the three of them want to know the answer. I'd have each of them for different moods, you see. Good. This is a good answer. <laughs> Coward. <laughs> so, we're here to talk about the Warlock effect. But let's talk about the Nyman... Dyson effect. And our listeners know about you, Andy, but together we don't know about how you met. We know that you've collaborated before for theatre and for film, and I can understand that, I can get my head around that, but to get together and write a novel, I I, I don't know how that works. So I want to talk about that, but let's talk about you two first, how you first met and how you felt that the collaboration was going to work, because it obviously does. Mm. Well, the strange thing was it had such a long fuse on it because we met when we were 15 years old and became instant best friends overnight. 
we were thrown by fate together into a dormitory on Jewish summer camp uh, in Somerset in the summer of 1981, age 15. And then, but we didn't, so that was, yeah, 1981, but we didn't start working together or contemplate starting working together until 2008. Wow. So that's, what's that, 29, 37? Is it 37? It must be 37 37 years. 37 years, which seems insane. Yeah. I mean, we'd sort of always, well, not always, actually, but probably... From when our careers... When our careers had sort of... We'd always sort of talked about, oh, wouldn't it be fun to do something together and be really lovely? And but, but there's a world of difference between that and actually coming up with something. Because also you've got the pressures of trying to keep your own career going, mm-hmm. trying to pay your mortgage, trying to look after your families and do all of that. And also nurture a friendship. Because fr- we, we all have those conversations, wouldn't it be great because yeah. we, we get on so well. But that's a it, that's it, a different side to a relationship. It could harm a relationship. Absolutely. Were you at all nervous about that? Well, I'd kind of been through it on with the league because we we started as friends, mm. and, and it, that that was an enterprise that grew out of friendship. So I already had a map for what that journey could be like, and and what some of the pitfalls of it were likely to be. So so maybe I was less nervous about that when it came round. Yeah, and I think because by then I'd been collaborating with Darren for oh probably uh, well we uh, probably about ten years by then. Right. So and whilst Darren and I didn't start as friends, you know, we started as sort of we were put together as a team. Mm. We had become very good friends. So I think that it it's no accident that our successful collaboration is born out of two people who have already had lengthy collaborations where you, you're sort of starting to learn how to navigate that. And it is quite... It's a tricky thing to get right, for sure, especially when, as Jez and I are, you are best friends in the world, mm. you know, uh, because there's a lot at jeopardy there. So... Yeah, and it's a diff- working together is not friendship. I mean, it's, it's, it's a blessing that friendship is involved and, and a lot of what you do grows out of the friendship. But the, the, for want of a better word, the professional side of it is a completely different way of being and, and throws up all kinds of stuff that you just don't have to go near when you're, when you're in friendship. And you, were you quite strict with that, about crossing the line of, of friendship and, or, or taking a different hat <clears throat> well, I think what happens is... No, we weren't strict in terms of setting ground rules mm. or any of that. I mean, some rules sort of found themselves very early. We have this thing where we'll email... It can be anything from an email we want to send the publisher or our agent or, you know, the lyric when it was back in the day when we were doing ghost stories, where one of us would draft something and you'd, you'll send it to the other one and just put usual rules at the top. And usual rules, which we'd set earlier on, was edit, throw it away, finagle it, start again, say it's perfect, whatever you want is fine. And we, we sort of stumbled on that, decided on that very, very early so you that, had to speak with one voice. You yes. couldn't... Because, you know, there's lots of temptations, particularly with email, to just, if something happens, and particularly if it's emotive, to just jump straight into typing something out mm. and to assume that the other person's going to agree with you. And that's been a harder lesson for me to learn than jazz. In what way? Well, we're very different. 
I'm, I, I'm at times a bull in a china shop. And it's one of the things that makes our relationship really work. Not me being like that, but the fact we are so yin and yang. But I've really, at times, really struggled with not just firing off in anger or firing off saying, you know, having worked in, done so many productions on the other side of it. And I think one of the things I've got from my dad is in terms of him running his own surgery and stuff is that he was so efficient that you just can't understand it when people don't match your efficiency. So it, it, it's a, it becomes a real flashpoint for you. So I've done my best. I still fail at it, but I've done my best to kind of rein that in and try and fire it through Jeremy first. Yeah, well, I think it's the, it's the norm now. It's become habit, so it's, yeah. it, it, it's less of an issue. But yeah, that was the thing we had to learn how to do. Was the book a natural progression? Yeah, it, it, yeah. it did open very naturally because it actually started life as a film script. Oh, did it? Yeah, although we didn't get as far as scripting it, but we 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 mapped out a whole first act. It was when we'd finished, just as we'd finished Ghost Stories, just as we delivered the finished thing, and we were talking about dream projects next. And we we looked at the idea of actually not doing the obvious thing of doing another horror film, and what if we did it? It was just an absolute dream thing, like which would have been an adventure film, like, <laughs> like Raiders of the Lost Ark. <coughs> and so we and we had this seed idea of of the magician who becomes a spy. So so we started. We plotted out quite fairly quickly without too much struggle uh, the whole first act, which is the first part of the book. And then this this opportunity came to do it as a, as a book because. Uh, an editor that I knew was looking for books based around magic and, right. and had come to us, Do, have you got anything? And and it was, well, actually, it just so happens. Yeah. Uh, and that's often how, you know, things happen like that. The stars are aligned. Because um, I don't think we'd have considered writing it as a book Never. otherwise. No, I'm and, just going to blow my nose. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> we can edit that out. We probably won't. It's yeah, fine. probably won't. It's a good noise. Um, it proves it's not AI. There yes. You go. <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, that was very natural, the transition into it, but very frightening for me, that. In what way? Well, again, one of the differences between us and one of the strengths that we have is Jeremy is extremely literary, extremely well-read, studious, retains knowledge brilliantly, I'm, I'm none of those things. You are when it comes to magic. Well, yeah, to magic for sure. But I mean, in terms of literature, mm. so, so my sort of gut strength is just, again, it's one of the things that makes us a good yin and yang. So when Jeremy phoned me and said, um, you know, we've got this opportunity, do you think we should turn Warlock into a, a novel? That I, My questions were all the same questions that, you know, we're getting asked now, how on earth do you write that together? How do you do a novel together? What, exactly, what is yeah. that? <clears throat> uh, and also for me, just gigantic imposter syndrome. Because the other thing is, Jeremy's written a brilliant novel. He's written brilliant books of short stories. And they're things that I'm sort of in awe of, skills I'm in awe of. So it's about finding a way through that. And in exactly the same way you do when you're writing your first play or doing your first... Film. Film. Yeah. Or direct, you know. So you see, I would have had that in reverse when you said, right, when with Ghost Stories, the play, okay, well, here's the deal. 
we're going to write it, we're going to direct it. Yes. And, I, and I, it was, I'd not written a play, I'd certainly not directed a play, and yet this was going to be on in the main house of the lyric. How are we going to do that? And you said, it'll be fine. <laughs> but you see, you both bringing different skills yeah. to the table. Yeah, there. And really... I can understand and I can see that collaboration as I can when I first saw Ghost Stories for the first time. I understand. Yeah. And, and, you know, cinema history has proved that collaborations, whether they're siblings or, you know, it just works because someone takes a back seat, someone knows to bring those sets of skills. But to write a book together... And also, you mentioned about a singular voice, which this book definitely has. Yeah. But people do, you know. I mean, yes, yes, it's rarer, but... Well, coincidentally, we, one of the things we did as we were writing the book of um, Warlock is we did an episode of the new series of Good Omens, which is a book that was co-written between two writers mm. with individual profiles and yet definitely has a singular voice and a singular vision. Uh, But both writers of, you know, both very well-known writers in their own their own. Neil hadn't... I I think Good Omens was his first novel. Was he? Yeah, I think he'd written some short stories, but he was a comic book writer. Yeah. You know, he'd written written scripts for comic books. That's what he was done. And and, and, because it was, you know, a long time ago. It was about 1990, I think, it happened. So... So it wasn't, you know, you knew it was possible. And there's, 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 there are other teams. There's um, Nikki French, um, which is a husband-wife partnership, isn't oh. it? Sean French and whatever is Nikki, his wife or, or partner. Um, so, you know, you're aware that it was doable. Yeah. And, and then it was like anything. It's like and one of the things Andy's taught me, you just begin. <laughs> you just begin yeah. and then, you know, whatever you meet on the road, you... You you sort it out as you go. Sorry, Andy, go on. I was going to say, the thing that... <clears throat> I'm aware, because I'm an avid listener of this podcast, as you know, I love it. So I'm aware that a lot of actors, it'll be primarily actors... Well, maybe it's shifted now. I mean, it's shifted. It's shifted so much, that, hasn't it? Again, I don't know if you know this or not, Jeremy, when I interview actors, I very rarely talk about work or... Off-camera anecdotes because I find it all quite self-indulgent and boring. Really, I'm much yeah. more about getting to know the person, as we've done, sure. you know, twice with with Andy. But what I was going to say was that <clears throat> anyone listening to this who wants to write or collaborate, or the thing that I would say is, it is no different from any other creative experience. It's no different from learning your lines. It's no different from going in on day one of rehearsals. And a lot of it is fear management. But there's a, there's a unique thing in a collaboration, um, which I guess a, a rehearsal is, is that what it's a balance with your ego. You know, you're, you're on the one hand, you need your ego because we all need to have a little bit of sort of Teflon coating so that we believe in ourselves enough to weather the storm of rejection and the self-belief that gets you through thinking, I'm not working at the moment, but fucking hell, I'm sure it'll be fine next year. We'll just keep going. You know, you so you need that ego at your core but equally you need to be able to just sort of usual rules on things you have to be able in a collaboration to know that you're both pulling in the same direction and know what your strengths are and your weaknesses are and not be afraid to just give over to that and then also within that you find little moments that you think no this is this is really important this thing you know so you're not point scoring with each other you're just yeah, and we had uh, you know, ten years of working together when we came to do do this book. So we had a lot of shorthand mm. and uh, and maps 
of the kind of problems that you are going to hit that that aren't going to, aren't any different just because the form's changed because it's all a negotiation, you know. And was the process the same with regards to writing as it was for the play version of Ghost Stories and also the film? I think it was a bit different actually. I mm. think that my my memory of of the play and the film were that we were, you know, in the room tight, you know, talking. That's a massive part of our process is just talking about anything and everything. And then when you start drilling down into stuff with with ghost stories, we'd sort of improv and record those improvs at times. We only started doing that on the film when we were adapting the film. Because we had to expand out those scenes and make them more Did we? More How dramatic. interesting. Because they were, they were quite discursive on stage and we needed wow. to turn them into, into something that you could you know, yeah. act out more. Yeah. And that, so that's why, and that's why we started doing That's so interesting, yeah. Um, and then, but, but it was pretty much, we wrote every word of that together. I think. You see, I think that's it, it's it's more mixed than that. It's more of a patchwork because I say I think yes, generally speaking, yeah, there was there was more online together, you know, with in writer duet or whatever. But there was also a fair bit of let me just have a go at this. Yes, scene. you're right. God, my memory. And then you'd pass it back for, back and forth for both of us. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and or if not the scene itself, you know, like let's. Here's Chunks. a set of questions mm. about this scene. Here are my answers to those questions. What do you think? Yeah. So it's it's complicated. It's a very it's very fluid, and the trick is to go where it takes you. Yeah. And not angst about it, and certainly not angst about who who's done what, mm. because the audience doesn't give a shit. No. <laughs> and the end result is the only thing that counts. Yeah. And, and it isn't over till the fat lady sings. And I learned that on the league, you know, which was a long journey mm. with a lot of fluctuation and shifts and changes in the dynamics of how we worked across the 10 years that we were working together. <clears throat> and it never mattered because the only thing that ever matters is, is, how, is the end result. It doesn't matter how you get, the audience does not care how you get there. What? Yes. Sorry, go on. Well, they, they, just want, they just want to be entertained. Yeah. What's amazing across all of the things we do together, but I guess a, a, any collaboration, is things within the end product that you have no concept of how those things were birthed. You just can't sort of... They just come out of this amazing process where you know one person has one idea that mm, not that but this that becomes this that becomes that that becomes oh god what about that no but oh what it could you know and before you know it you've come up with something or developed something that you would never in a million years have got to on your own ever and and neither of you would yeah and yet here's this and it can be a sentence, it can be the end of the thing, it can be something that unlocks the whole thing. It's just such a... It is the most wonderful thing. And also, for me, across the years, one of the joys of collaborating is there are days when you haven't got much in the tank and you know that there's someone else who has. Who's got the support... Who's there to support you. Who's got your back. Yeah. You know, and that works... You know, because we're both, 
you've got families and your own life complicated in a million ways and there are times when you both need one of you all just need to I can't work today or would you be able to do that or and it's a joy to be able to be there for each other yeah. as well it's really a blessing and vitally important hugely you know I still remember when we were uh, in prep for ghost stories of the film we were doing the lens test Gone to remember we've gone to the cinema at um, I do Leeds yes. to, the, to the view uh, and uh, Ula our DP was showing us various things he shot with the various lenses for us to say which set of lenses we preferred and I got this call from my daughter's plate my daughter who was about eight at the time played in the school orchestra and her finger had got caught in the keyboard stand that had collapsed on her finger oh. and my wife wasn't there. That I don't where were that day, which was yeah. rare, and oh, it's because she'd broken her leg. <laughs> and um, so I, so I had to. Andy said, "Don't worry, I'll finish the lens test. You go and sort that." And I mean, that's such a blessing. Yeah, that's such a blessing, particularly on something as all-encompassing as directing the film. When you were writing the book, with because I keep going back to the singular voice because it really is there, and I don't read many books with the collaboration, mm. especially with them being best friends. And Jeremy, am I right in saying you don't live in London, do you? No, I live in Yorkshire. So was it important for you to be in the room or be together? How did that process work? Was was you handing over little bits and then you would come together at the end of the day? Or Well, we'd, I mean, firstly, we've worked remotely pre-pandemic just because of the distance mm. between us. And there's only so many times you want to spend 130 quid on the train <laughs> and give up two days being away from your family, you know, that we very quickly, it was my son Preston, had come across this piece of software called Write a Duet, that you're basically writing on the cloud, and you're you're looking at, you're both seeing it on the same screen at the same time. Right. It's a screen writing, uh, it's like final draft. Yeah. Okay. Uh, So we started doing that, and we'd write over FaceTime, and the first half an hour of the first day felt weird, and then very quickly I realised, this is amazing. It's like, bit, number one, it's like being in the room. Mm. And it didn't feel any different. So, so, so we'd written like that for a long time. So when the pandemic hit, that didn't really affect our creative process. If anything, it enabled it a bit because one of the things that is the most fruitful part of, of doing it is consistency, is being able to come together a lot. That really helps. Um, but what we did was... You know, we did a huge amount of plotting, talking, 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 plotting, 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 and then just, you know, pouring your own life and your own honesty into it. And then we'd sort of divvy bits up. You do that, you do that, and come back and we'll see in two weeks. And if there's any thoughts or any things or anything you want, just... Yeah, we'd go in chunks and then, you know, give notes on each other's chunks and you know, do our revisions, and it was a very fluid process. Yeah. And then, you know, we had a great, terrific editor too, who, um, in fan we, who, uh, who then, after the first draft, gave us a brilliant set of notes, and then we went back and revised, you know, in just the same way. So it was a very fluid process, and it was very, it was very, it was pretty straightforward, yeah. really, from our point of view. It sounds an enjoyable process. Oh, it yeah. really was. It was yeah. amazing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't wait to see what the other person had written. That's another thing, by the way, that's worth saying. And I may have said this the last time we spoke, I can't remember, but it, it's proven itself truer to me again, which is 
so often you hear about, you know, producers on movies being dicks with their notes and... Andy, you've come across a few in your time, surely. Come on. Well... They exist. They They do exist. They exist, but I, I feel blessed, really. I haven't come across that many, is the truth. And... The same with director. I've come across more dick directors <laughs> and their notes or lack of notes. And, you know, in this case, an editor. And without a shadow of a doubt, on the Ghost Stories film, the notes we were given by our producers and the financiers were phenomenal and made the film, uh, you know, markedly better. Mm. And in exactly the same way, the notes we were given by our editor made this book completely changed the the latter chunk of the book. And again, ultimately what you want when you when you hand something in or you, you know, you, you do your first run through is you want, you know, you secretly want the director or the editor or whoever to go. I've never seen a performance better in my life. I don't change anything. Don't change. This book is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's what you want. This first cut of the film is perfect. Nothing, nothing needs to be changed. Yeah. Of course, that's what you want, because you need your ego pampered and you also you're a bit lazy. You don't want to do any more work. But that's never the case, and that's never, ever, ever going to be true. Um, so A first draft is just a beginning. Yeah. So it's really important not to resist notes from anyone, from a director, from an editor, from mm. one sit. And something I learned from you, Jess, was, you know, something you'd often say is... Um, Wrong note, right place. Exactly. Yeah, if you're getting an if you're getting a note, it's because something's not working. Now, the the note that they're offering up may not be the right solution or even the right diagnosis of the problem, but there is definitely a, a bump there. Right. So you need to pay attention to what the bump is and work it out for yourself if you don't agree with their diagnosis. Oh, that's a very good bit. It's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's really good. And you yeah. can take that and run with it. Uh, everything every, across every, the board. Across the world. Yeah. Across the board. Um, so. Yeah. How, how good were you individually about letting things go? So if you've, if you've brought something that you believe is fantastic to the table, that this great plot twist, or but then somebody else went, actually, I don't think this is going to work because of ABC. I think we're both really good at that, aren't we? Yeah, we listen to each other. Mm. And you're always aware, it's always, you've always got that sense of if they're saying it, there's a reason they're saying it. There's yeah. something there. Because obviously there's trust here yeah. between... Yeah, and, you know, we also have the opposite experience of us both going, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you get that as well. So if you're not getting that, then something's awry there and there's something to look at. But also... Sometimes, sometimes you'll work it out together, won't you? Yeah, you will. But, I mean, I can remember, and I won't talk about the ending of ghost stories for people who haven't no, no, seen no, 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 no. it but there is a very big difference between the end of the play and the end of the film um, and I really really struggled with that we very we don't ever really talk about you did that moment you did that moment you did that because you don't really think about it but this for me is a big I think about this quite a bit because it was a reminder as to where your ego can lead you astray um, because Jeremy um very 
I don't know how quickly it was, but had a real sense of what the end of the film should be, a moment. And that moment meant letting go of the much beloved end of the play. And when right. I say much beloved, I'm not talking about the audience, I'm talking about me. <laughs> yeah. Probably because I did it for 13 months. You know, and if you... Well, also, it was, it, this is such a lovely piece of theatre. Yeah. yeah. And I could not see my way into that at all. I really resisted it. Because it was a piece of theatre? Well, no, because I thought the end is great. Mm. The end is great of the play. And, and, and it, so... With one arm behind my back, I had to sort of. But it was great because it relied on the fact that it was happening in front of you. In the play. In In the the play. play. (laughs) And the minute you put it on film, you lost that because it's not happening in front of you. Yeah. It meant something different. So. so that's why you couldn't just reproduce it or a version of it. Yeah, and he was absolutely right. But it was ve- that's it, that's one in in all our you know fourteen fifteen years of working together. That moment was one of the hardest things I had to get let go of. Um, and it's so interesting when you get a, and I knew instantly as soon as I had that it was the you know it was like the right thing to do in inverted commas. But I mean it, it was like of course, um, but so I do think about that quite a lot when you're sort of clinging on to something that you love just because you love it mm. doesn't mean it's right no. or doesn't mean it's going to work in that or it doesn't mean letting go of it means it's a bad idea it's just not what's required sometimes in that moment in yeah. that moment yeah. in this version mm. at this time and also there's no such thing as a, a wasted idea because suddenly you'll find two years later when you're talking about something else it will be like oh do you remember you said that thing about blah, 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 we let it go? That'd work here, wouldn't it? You know, it's just, you just have to. No work wasted. No work wasted, yeah. You must have a huge file. You just throw everything <laughs> We <to>. haven't. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone finds it, if please you send it. Tatty scraps. Left <laughs> <laughs> it back in the drawer. Um, so, I think we should probably... Without any spoilers at all, yes. but tell people exactly what we're talking about. Okay. So, uh, who wants to sort of go? I mean, I don't want to give too much away, and I don't want to simplify anything. No, because well, we can give you the simple uh, elevated pictures as, as, as they say nowadays, um, whatever that means. Which is uh, so? It's Louis Warlock is the leading magician of his day. He's he's set in 1953. And he's a big star on the radio, because this is true, that magic was a big thing on the radio in the 1950s. There were, there were several uh, magicians who made their name on the radio. And Louis's reputation draws him to the attention of the British Secret Service, who realised that his skills could be repurposed for espionage purposes. Uh, and he gets sucked into a devastating plot against the nation and which will have terrible implications for him himself. Something like that. Yeah. And, of course, the backdrop is beautiful London. And it's it so nice, so nice to read real London. And you go, I've taken that walk. Yeah. I've taken that taxi journey. And that's exactly what it is. It's not like sometimes when we see it in the film where you go, well, that wouldn't happen. Well, you just that? turned left out of St Paul's. Yeah. How are you at Piccadilly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh, it's Americans. They won't know. And one of the, you know, it is, like everything we do, it is filled with things that we love. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're sitting in Maison Berto because yeah. 
Louis has this team of people that help him create uh, these show-stopping magic uh, illusions. illusions. And this, this gang of sort of magicians and comedy writers in the 50s, and they're called the Brains Trust. And they meet in Maison Berton, in the upstairs room. That's, yeah. that's their setting. Um, but the Because bo- Maison Berton has been here for, since the 1850s. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. So we were we were trying to find those bits of London that are unchanged and or, or if not unchanged that we had a half memory of. Yeah. Uh, and, and there's also real characters in this book. Oh, it's full of real magicians, mm. real people from the time, uh, magicians' names that we've changed, and then we've created people as well. Um, it is. It's full of things that we love. So it's full of magic, which we both have loved our whole lives. You will actually learn a couple of really great tricks. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because not being a magician myself, I always thought the one rule is you don't divulge the trick. Correct. But here I've already learned and started to practice some tricks (laughs) to try and fool my son. Well, there there are two or three tricks that we teach Mm. in the book because part of the again, this isn't spoiling anything, but part of the book is there is a book within the book called The Warlock Effect. Within The Warlock Effect, there is The Warlock Warlock Effect, Effect, written by Louis Warlock because part of the magic world is magicians who teach their routines and tricks to other magicians you can buy these lecture notes and books and jeremy and i have shelves full of these things and the amazing thing in the 50s 60s 70s were these were working pros selling the secrets of their acts of how they were making their living Uh, and the landscape of all that has changed dramatically because now magic is very monetized so anyone anyone who comes up with half an idea it's can buy it as a download or an internet uh, or, or, or a, a trick on the internet and yeah. they're not really audience tested they're not really amazing tricks a lot of the time whereas back then these legitimately were how they made their living in nightclubs and and they would be routines that were finessed over yeah. decades you know people because the the practice of magic was completely different because you had Musical. You had the variety theatres. You had people going out doing their acts night after night after night, uh, and so the magic that they were doing had been honed to perfection, move by move. And that was the information you were often getting in these uh, in these books. You were getting a lot of the thinking behind yeah. the magic as much as the moves themselves. So there are a couple of things that sort of legitimise being able to teach these two or three tricks that we teach. Uh, The first thing is that the issue with giving away secrets is um, whether they're earned or not. So if we just turned upon a chat show to talk about Warlock Effect and just gave away a secret, Mm. you know, explain, that sort of, there's no value in that. No. You have to go and buy this book and read the book and invest time into that. And that's, you know, you can go into Smith's, if Smith still exists anyway, and buy a book on magic. You can just go buy kids' magic books or any conjuring books. There's no issue with going and buying a book on magic tricks, on having magic tricks explained to you. It's all about investment, either financial or time or intellectual investment into the thing. Attention. Yeah, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that the three or four tricks we teach are all public domain and are all tricks 
that have been out. In fact, what, the card trick that's in there mm. is one of the very first published tricks ever. It's about 1750 that was published. Really? It is, yeah. But one of the things that we do isn't just, here's the trick, here's how you do it, is with no censorship have truly given the thinking of the magician into how you would take a simple trick and turn that very simple thing into something that would make your audience member, whether that's one person or 300 people, think, what? Oh, my God, what just happened? And so often that, that, that is the real secret behind magic. Those shifts are only in tiny bits of thinking. And so, so all of that stuff and each of the tricks, when you get to the end of the book, you realise each of those tricks are there for a reason. And you talk about timing before. Every time the extracts are there or the trick there, it's when I needed a little break or <laughs> something happened or as an intake of breath. Certainly I know yes. there's a big one. Um, but... I find them so heartfelt in the way that they're written because of almost like the diary entries mm. of, of somebody. Well, we both are so passionate about it. Yeah, and, and I think one out. of the things that you're hoping for, and again, this would stand against accusations of freely and easily giving secrets away, is we're trying to communicate our passion and love for magic as an art form in a way that may inspire other people to invest in it as well. Obviously, not everybody reads the book, that, that would be silly. But the, the, the idea that if there's just a handful of people out there who get an interest activated mm. in that way because of what they've read, that would be wonderful because it, it is such a fantastic art form and fantastic endeavour that you want it to continue and to carry on and to you, you, you feel you want to pass the baton on in whatever little way you can. Mm. But the book is so exciting, and it's—I <laughs> see it. I can see it. Right? It's visually striking. Yeah. I can smell it. I can smell London. I can certainly taste London. You know, you talk about going to the chop house to have in lamb and mint jelly. I'm there. <laughs> I want it. And I know this is—you probably didn't. But did you have one eye on seeing it on the screen at any time in writing it? Or do you have to... I know you don't have to well, think like... I don't, want to, I don't want to come across as cynical that... Yeah, it's not, well, it's it's not it's, cynical. I mean, we're, you know, it's really interesting to call it cynical because I don't think that is cynical. Right. If you are investing 18 months of your life to create and something... Rest. And the rest. <laughs> whether it's a play or, or you know... You, there's no point creating something that 12 people are going to see. You want to try and create something that as many people in as many different forms can enjoy mm. and in whatever form that is. So we're huge cinephile. No, I know you are. And and I, are I think the reason why I said cinephile because I didn't want to be no, 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 offensive in not, any way no, to you. No, it's not a no. criticism of, no. you, of you saying that at right. all. I think that to, to create something knowing, you know... You, 
the thing is not to write it cynically. It's not to write the thing saying, aha, this will be a great scene on telly. This will be... You've still got to be pure to the to the yeah, intention which, which of we've writing all read, it. by the way. I'm, I'm sure we've all read. There was never a point with this where we were, we were doing it in that way. It no. was always 100% a book, because it's, it's quite a booky book, because it's got... Yeah. It's playing all those literary games. It's, it's, I can't believe you said, but it's exactly a booky book. Yeah, I, and I know exactly what <laughs> well, you mean. Well, because it's yeah. not within a book. I know. It's, it's playing with the form, and it's celebrating the fact it's a book so it, it's not a screenplay pretending to be a book it never was but nevertheless it did start start life as a as a film idea yeah so so that is part of its dna as well mm. but we had such a great time that whole extraordinary journey for us of of ghost stories of it starting with a play that was on quite a small scale and then 10 years later it was a film that was, a, and it was a ten-year ride yeah. from one to the other. But we loved the layering. We loved the fact we never got bored of it. I mean, which was extraordinary. Never. Oh no! Even though we we would staged it three times as well as made the film of it. Oh yeah! If there was a production, if they said end of this year, there's going to be another production. Will you direct it in a heartbeat? We're not bored of it. Just keep going back to it, finding new things. It's so exciting. So, so the idea of you know, not that you're trying to contrive it because good luck with that but the idea of (laughs) (laughs) but the idea of 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 starting in one form then taking it to another form is something maybe peculiar and we do have a particular weird combined skill set between us that that enabled that to happen before so if that was well please god it's happening again because we have the books now been optioned but uh, it was. It's a joyful thing to us, and as Andy says, there's not a scrap of cynicism in it. Uh, 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 at least I hope not. Well, of course there isn't. Is there? No slash, one hundred percent. You know, this could be a great teleseries. Oh, absolutely, or, or a great film. Yeah, because that's that's everything that's informed who we are as people mm-hmm. and writers, and you know. So why wouldn't you create something that you think? Be, be also, because the existence as an artist is so feast or famine. Why, you know, you're creating something that you think, if we were investing so much time into this, and the book was different because you're paid for the book, but, you know, I'm not breaking any codes by saying you're not given a million pounds to write a book. <laughs> I mean, you know, very often you're creating these things like it is when you're writing a play or writing the screen. We wrote the screenplay of Ghost Stories on spec. Completely. Right. You know, no one's paying you for those two years' work. So by the time you get paid for the thing, you're on minimum wage. Basically, my favourite thing that out. I hold in my head all the time is when we finished making the League of Gentlemen film, the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse. Reese turned to me and said, "We made more money window cleaning." Which, <laughs> 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 you, you toss it up hour for hour, is literally true. <laughs> so that, that's one of the reasons that why not create something exactly. that you think. And again, that goes back to that bit of ego in you, where. I think, yeah, this is... Why not? Why shouldn't our ambition be? I don't, I'm not, I don't, that came out aggressive. I don't mean it to be. But why wouldn't you, when you're creating something, also think, I just want to create, you know, create something that could be a book, a film, a play, uh, a graphic novel, mm-hmm. have sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, what, a new life, a new a form. New why life can't and, and it keep, carry Why on? can't it do yeah. that? Because people do that. So why, would, why shouldn't we do that? And it was no surprise to me when I when I found out that it had been picked up because when I was reading, I went, 
oh, this is this is this is my telly series. This is, <laughs> this is the, so it, that that first big set piece when he's blindfolded in the car. It's like that is going to be so exciting. I can, as I say, I can smell it. I can see all that. Yeah. Brilliant and cheap because it's from his point of view. So it's just a black screen for two episodes. <laughs> I don't know about it. I think it's going to be <laughs> luscious. Um, let's talk about audiobooks because that's something that I've only done twice in 26 years and terrifies the life out of me. It's just not in me. And I know certain people, as I'm sure you do, so you do, Jeremy, it's just, they open their mouth and it's fluid and it all comes out. Was it your idea to take up the the microphone there, Andy? He, I, he didn't, I really wish people no, could it, see the eyes there. <laughs> he wasn't going to. In fact, he said the opposite to start with. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. No, we'll get someone else to do it. And, and then you, then you realised, we both realised that was stupid. That yes. was so stupid. <laughs> because who else is going to read it as well as Andy? And uh, that's, so that's what happened. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I, I don't know that I ever want to do another... Um, audio book that isn't something we've written I've done a couple before and didn't really enjoy it um <coughs> excuse me um I loved doing this once I got into my stride mm. but it is hard hard work I'm not a great reader uh, I don't mean sight read I mean just a reader of books and it's Three and a half days of sitting in a little studio with not very good lighting. Intense. Intense. And you're reading off an iPad. Which you know, I find very, very difficult. Oh, I hate it. You so, know now when you get sent scripts and it... I, oh. I certainly can't learn lines on an iPad. And I've spoken to other people who are similar age to me and I can't do it. It's and a ni- I'm doing a thing at the moment. I've had to get special permission from the producers to have my scenes printed absolutely mental um so i i I hope that people like the audiobook it's the reaction seems to be nice but Mm. um and i did have fun doing it but god i don't know how people do that as a living i mean it is hard work really is a different set of skills it it? really is Um, honestly by the end of each day i mean it sounds dramatic down the tinsel mine my darling (laughs) i couldn't breathe but you know i couldn't focus my eyes you know i get to sort of five o'clock and you've been in there since 10 Mm. and i genuinely could not focus it's just a blur of words so uh, it's really hard work. You're not reading it as you would read a book for pleasure. No. Although that, that was the joy of doing this, was that I hadn't read the book for a bit. Right. So it, it really was... It, it was pleasurable to sort of, oh, that bit's coming up. This is great. I love this bit. That was fun to write. You know, we had such fun with that moment. So, And there are so many fun characters in yeah. the book as well. Um so it was. It, I really loved doing it, but it is hard work. Did you have a favourite character on voice in the audiobook as opposed to when you were writing it? Did anything new pop out to you? Yes, but I don't want to talk about which character that was. I'll tell you okay. off mic. Okay. You, yeah. Uh, but because it'll be a spoiler... We don't want that. No. But speaking of audiobook, would you be so kind as to read a little piece from the book for us? 
Really? Yes, have you got a book? I've got a book. Yes. Okay, with pleasure. We'll just do that. I'm just going to take these headphones yeah. off so we don't oh, have no, a, microphone. an audio disaster. Let me see. In my bag here. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. It's one of those copies as well. It's one of those uh, copies. Magic Man bit. Yeah. Is that what we've yeah, done yeah. previously? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just give me. Can you remember where it is? Let's. Uh... The the. Um... Yes. We'll just put some. The nice sound of flicking. Nineteen fifty. Whilst Jeremy's finding it, let me also tell you. Uh, the book is a thriller, an exciting thriller. Uh, it is full of proper twists and turns. Just to interrupt you here, yes. there was a certain point on in reading for me that I went. I'm not sure I trust anything <laughs> what I'm reading. And therefore I went, you're feeding me all of this. Because of the peak behind the curtain as well with um, the tricks that come out and the yes. little entries from the Warlock effect. We, there's a moment about the, the magician's assistant. Yes. And how she, what she wears, what she's doing, what they are doing. You can't take your eyes off them for a minute, so you're looking at this, but something's going on over here, and I'm like, this is what they're doing to me, I can't trust anything what I read. And that is really exciting. Yeah. Really exciting to, uh, as a reader. Can I also just add, it's really, I found it very funny. Good. Very funny, and also heartfelt. There's a beautiful section right at the start, which I thought was beautiful, which I saw visually as well, which is, yeah. and no spoiler, but that's about his childhood, but Thanks. you found something, haven't you? Okay, so this... Is that the bit you meant? Uh... Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Andy, sorry, I interrupted you there because I got too excited about the uh, magician's yes. assistant. Was there anything else you wanted to say? I was going to say one of the other things that... Loves- yes, that's what I was going to say. One of the things that has surprised us in the response to the book is we all those other things we knew were sort of what we were aiming for. The thing that is, I think, really surprised us is it's also a love story. Uh, and that almost is the driving force in the book and that's been I think one of the things because it's easy to think that oh it's a very blokey book because it's all about magic but it's really not um anyway so this is I'll just twiddle the mic around a little bit yeah uh so this is I'll read the first bit let me just see how long this is well this is a a little chapter from Louis's book within the book very good Uh, a chapter called The Real Magic Word. My dear friend, are you still there? Are you reading this? If you are, and you are, aren't you? I know you are. I know you are. I want you to think of a magic word. Got one? Well, I'm guessing you either thought of Hocus Pocus or Abracadabra. Yes, there are a few other more obscure ones out there like Gazumba and Simsalabim, but ultimately it boils down to a choice of two. Think about the two choices while I remind you of what a magic word really is. It's a spell, an assembly of letters that possesses an ancient otherworldly power, accessing and bringing forth a force that ordinary people cannot command. Now, close your eyes and whisper them both, but don't just speak the words as you say them. Imagine that you command and affect that real power, the power to bring something into being, 
make something appear, to bring it forward into our realm, however unlikely, however impossible it seems. Which one of the words felt to you that it had the most power? Somehow hocus pocus feels silly, doesn't it? Like it's made for children. Maybe that's because it's an invented word. It has no real grounding, no absolute power. It was first created to describe the frivolous tricks that 16th century jugglers performed. But abracadabra is a different beast. Whisper it again. As the word trips off your tongue, you can sense that there is something beneath it, something deep and ancient. It's there in its rhythm, its sound, its music. Without you even knowing it, that word, a word that has survived since the second century AD, evokes a response that you can't put your finger on. You can feel the dark, ancient power of it. Abracadabra is a corruption of the Hebrew abracadabri, meaning I will create as I speak. In other words, the very act of speech will create new realities. Words have power once they are formed. This I know to be true. Andy Diamond, lovely stuff. For those who do want to go out and get the audiobook, I'm afraid it won't have the clattering of teaspoons (laughs) and the cutting of sweet pastries, but I'm sure you had it there. And that's a flavour of the Warlock effect. Um, I urge you to go out and get it. Go out and buy it. You know Andy. You know Jeremy's work. Uh, It's out now in all good bud shops, isn't it? It It is. is. It is. And online places and, yeah. And we're going to turn the mics off now and Andy and Jeremy are going to tell me who they're casting in the television show, <laughs> which I will keep to myself. Just before you go, fellas, another book? Yes. Yeah. Plans for another book? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A second, a second book in this series. Yes, it was a contractual obligation. Was it? Oh, yes. Yes. We're, one that we're, we're absolutely delighted with. We love the idea of, of a, a big, expanded Louis Warlock world. Well, I can't wait. As soon as they've read this, they won't be able to wait. And I hope you have as much fun writing the next 17 books. <laughs> Bless you, man. Andy Nyman, Jeremy Dyson, thank you thank so much. Thank you. And another episode is done. What a cracker. Um, it was difficult. Not difficult. I've. It's the first time, I think. I'm pretty sure it's the first time that I've had two guests on. Um, but I was really interested in how they collaborated. I can understand, as I said in the episode, you know, I can see how you would work together on a play. Many, many people work on plays and musicals uh, as a collective, as a group, as a, as a duo. But while it's not unheard of, it is on the rarer side, uh, two best friends collaborating on a novel. But I have to tell you, my God, they pulled it off. Um, The Warlock Effect is out now. Go and buy it from your independent booksellers. Drop me a message when you have done. Tell me what you think. As we heard in the episode, it has been picked up by a television production company, one that we're all very big fans of. So I'd say in the next couple of years, you're going to be seeing The Warlock Effect on your small screens, but you'll know it well because you'll have read it two or three times by then. 
um, let me know how you get on. Drop Andy and Jeremy a message on social media once you've done so. I know they'd love to hear from you. Um, again, a uh, big shout out to Maison Berteau and Tanya for hosting us today. And as you heard on the intro, Aston mics make our podcast sound so deliciously rich and beautiful. And that's why we record on those and those only. Big shout out to Aston Mikes. So what we're doing, we're going to have a couple of weeks off. Um, I say a couple. It's a loose term. I know it usually means two. Could be two, could be three. Um, it's funny, as I walked into Maison Bateau today, uh, an actor and comedian was on his way out. And we stopped and we sort of acknowledged each other and he said how much he loved the podcast. So it seemed like an ideal opportunity to invite him onto the podcast. I did. He accepted. We exchanged numbers. Bam, he's booked for the next season. Uh, I've got another stand-up comedian booked. Uh, I've got, who else have we got? Oh, I've got an actress who I love, who I've wanted on for a long, long time. And... Um, uh, yeah, she's filming with a friend of mine at the moment. I mentioned that the door's always open. It's going to happen, which is great news. As ever with the next season, we're going to be revisiting some old guests for part two or possibly part threes in some case. And we're going to be broadening it out. Of course, it's not just going to be actors as always with the Two Shot Podcast. We aim to bring you the guests, the voices that you don't hear on every other podcast, because why would you? There's so many out there, but you're such a loyal gang, a loyal family of listeners, and myself and producer Griff really, really do appreciate it. Of course, we're going away for a few weeks, but if you have liked this season, and, you know, you've got a few quid to spare, and you think, you know, if I saw them in Maison Bateau, I'd buy him a hot cross bun. Maybe not now, not after Easter. I'd buy him a big cream cake, or if I saw him in the coach and horses, I'd buy them a pint of Guinness. You can do that through our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash the two shot podcast and find out what you can get uh, in rewards for helping us out bring you the best guests with hopefully the best conversations. And not just your run-of-the-mill questions or your 20-minute press junkets. No, no, no. We like to spend time with our guests and get to know who they are and bring them to you. So, we're going to carry on doing that. Until then, take care of yourself. Catch up on anything you haven't missed. Anything you haven't missed? Anything you have missed, rather. Because sometimes if you're skirting over and you see a name and you go, I don't really know that person, I'm not really keen, they're usually the best episodes. So go back, hit me up on social media. You know where we all are. We're on the Two Shot Pod, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Griff, personal Griff, is there. I'm around on Instagram, not on Twitter, but uh, we do try and get back to everybody and respond. Uh, And if you want to drop us an email... Maybe you've got an idea for a guest. Drop us an email at twoshotpod at gmail.com. Obviously, I can't promise, but it's nice to hear your thoughts. So we're going to go off, record a nice batch, and then we'll see you for the new season. It'll be exciting. Okay, until then, honestly, thanks so much for being here. It really means the world. You take care of yourself, and we'll be back 
very, very soon. Take care. The Two Shot Podcast was presented by me, Craig Parkinson, recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block. The remix of our theme tune is by Stolen Valor. Cheers. Cheers.